This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. The biggest story to watch in the legislature this week will be the proposed tax cuts. Jim Justice wants to cut the personal income tax in West Virginia by 50% over three years. The Senate leader's plan would cut the personal income tax by 15%. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. To celebrate what would have been Chuck Yeager's 100th birthday, West Virginia International Yeager Airport will join other locations around the world with a flyover today. Yeager was born in Myra, West Virginia, in Lincoln County on February 13, 1923. He was a flying ace with combat missions in World War II and in Vietnam. Jaeger is best known for being the first human to break the sound barrier on October 14, 1947. He was flying the Bell X-1, dubbed the glamorous Glennis for his first wife. The Marshall University Bill No Flight School will perform a flyover with three Cirrus SR-20 aircraft over the airport from north to south. The flight is planned for 10.30 this morning, weather permitting. The public can watch the flyover from the top floor of parking garage A. The airport also has a Chuck Yeager exhibit that is open to the public. Mark Harshman has published more than 15 books and served as West Virginia's Poet Laureate for 10 years. His latest poetry collection is called Dark Hills of Home. Bill Lynch recently spoke with Harshman about poetry and his long tenure as Poet Laureate. Let's start off with, the, I guess, the big elephant in the room, 10 years as the Poet Laureate of West Virginia. Tell us about the story about how you became the Poet Laureate. Oh, that story. I love that story. I was children's author. I was downstate from Wheeling somewhere teaching a class. And I had, at that point, my daughter's old Razor cell phone. And uh, it went off. I was embarrassed. I tried not to ever have it on. So I clicked it off. Hop in the car an hour or so later, back on the road to go to some other school. And uh, I play the message, and it's from the governor's office. Office. I called the office and they asked me if I'd like to be the, the next Poet Laureate. And it was a huge surprise, frankly. The embarrassing thing is uh, the secretary who I talked to in the governor's office, I said, it was a Friday. I said, can I call you back after the weekend? <laughs> and I get home and I tell my wife this and she says, you said what? It's been a real privilege uh, and honor. And I have seen my role in a variety of ways. But one of the primary things I've tried to do is to promote not just poetry and poets, but to promote all my fellow colleagues in the writing business, be it poetry, fiction, nonfiction, journalists. Um, and then we're such a small state. If I get the platform, I'm happy to trumpet the accomplishments of our painters and sculptors and musicians. And, and it always makes me feel good to, um, to bring new voices to light for an audience, be that audience, uh, a listening audience or a live audience. I'm going to ask you about your, some of your favorite, favorite readings, favorite 
in favorite events you've been part of. The one that I think of was uh, was Mountain Stage, oh gosh, two years ago? You know, in Huntington, it was cold. My nose was running. I had a mask on. And it, uh, they had all these, I mean, this was, this was the first, this was the first Mountain Stage back with a big audience. And it was outdoors because we were all still kind of getting through restrictions, the pandemic, and they were trying to do the best they could. To, and you rocked. You were amazing. What are your, some of your favorites, though? <laughs> I have to say that was uh, that was quite an event. My uh, one and only time giving a poetry reading in an NCAA football stadium, uh, surrounded by rock and roll and soul bands. It's not. Uh, it's a place where a poet steps on the stage with uh, some serious trepidation. But uh, the stars were shining, and all went well that night. Oh, major events! God, it's it's hard to think of it in terms of events, but certainly delivering that poem for the sesquicentennial on the Capitol steps there in Charleston uh, early in the afternoon and then hightailing it back to read the same poem with the Wheeling Symphony that evening. It was a crazy West Virginia day that June of 2013, I think it was, yeah. It was a privilege and honor to uh, give the keynote address for uh, last year, I think it was, uh, last year's Appalachian Studies Association Conference, which was held in Morgantown, where it had not been, if ever, uh, certainly had not been in many, many years. So that was so very satisfying to be able to do that. Let's talk about Dark Hills at Home. I don't know that we thought originally that this was going to coincide with my 10-year anniversary, but in fact, it did. And I saw this as a chance to uh, to choose some poems. Uh, some of the poems are really quite old, and some of them have never been published before and are relatively new. And the connecting thread is that they reflect in one way or another the landscape, life, culture of West Virginia or Appalachia writ large. Eric Douglas and I talk about poems sometimes. He tells me he's a he's struggling to get into poetry. I was explaining it says you have to speak it. You have to hear it spoken, at least for me. Well, no, I think uh, poetry is, is a, as close to music as we can get on the page. And a good poem should, we should be able to hear it on the ear. It doesn't mean it has to have rhyme and meter necessarily, but it does have to have a certain pulse, a certain uh, liveliness of voice if you will, um, a certain passion that comes through in the reading. And that's uh, not easy. And I know that certainly in draft materials that if I would just say the poem aloud, I will quickly know whether it's working or not working. I can hear it on the ear. There's there's an anecdote about the the, uh, composer Charles Ives, but I can't remember whether it was his music being performed or someone else's, but he is rumored to, and you know, the crowd was not happy with what they were hearing. And he he stood up and said, use your ears like a man. Now, that's generation ago he didn't speak with uh, the sensitivity that i would hope we'd employ today but uh, there is something about hearing that's essential to poetry uh the book is dark hills of home mark thank you very much you're welcome thank you bill you can hear more of that interview including a poem read by harshman sunday morning at seven and sunday evening at six on inside appalachia right here on wvpb This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 751. Areas of fog this morning becoming mostly sunny and breezy today. High temperatures in the 50s. Clear skies tonight with lows in the 20s and 30s. Sunny skies early tomorrow with increasing clouds throughout the day, highs in the 50s and low 60s. 
Support for the weather forecast is provided by the attorneys at Taurus Save a Law, representing firefighters, police officers, and West Virginia families. Information at TaurusSaveAlaw.com. Our reporters are covering a number of issues each day during the legislative session, but it's not always possible for us to get to everything. That's why we like to bring in reporters from other news organizations about what they see as some of the big issues of the week. Last Friday, Chris Schultz and West Virginia Public Broadcasting's Energy and Environment Report reporter Curtis Tate sat down with Lee Willingham from the Associated Press. I think the thing that jumps out at most people this week is the Senate. We finally have a a tax plan. There's finally a potential to hear a a discussion from all three parties involved uh, on this issue. Uh, Leah, can you give us a, a 10,000 feet up view of this tax plan? Um, yes, so the the Senate um, majority leaders proposed their counterproposal to Jim Justice's uh, tax plan, which passed the House last month. Um, Jim Justice wants to cut the personal income tax in West Virginia by 50% over three years, and um, the Senate leaders' plan um, would cut the personal income tax by 15% the first year, and it also includes rebates for um, small businesses, for vehicle tax, um, for taxes on the property for disabled veterans. Um, And they say that this is a more measured plan, a safer plan, um, because they have included in there a a trigger, basically, so that as the economy continues to grow, like sales tax revenues continue to increase, if they do, it could be cut further. But, you know, you're not doing the cut from zero to, you know, cutting it by half, like Justice is proposing over three years, um, not knowing what future revenues are going to look like. Yeah, and and future revenues are a big part of this discussion overall, not just with the Senate plan, but also with the governor's plan, Uh, a lot of it hinging on the severance uh, tax. Curtis, you're our uh, energy reporter. I'm sure that you're very familiar with the uh, uh, severance tax. what is it about this plan that uh, jumps out at you? Well, it's important to understand that uh, that we're we're actually just dis- having this discussion right now because uh, the severance taxes that are collected on coal and natural gas have been so strong. The demand for those fossil fuels has been very strong. The prices for those fossil fuels has been very high, uh, and and you know you're talking about something like um, I, I don't know about half of the. Uh, the entire surplus comes from these severance taxes. But, but if I can, let me tell you about something else that's, that's happening uh, in the Senate. Uh, yesterday, the Energy Committee passed Senate Bill 168. Well, what does that do? What it does is it exempts coal that is mined in West Virginia and burned at West Virginia power plants from the severance tax. And there's a fiscal note attached to that. That's $22 million a year in tax revenue that the state won't be getting if this goes through. You know, you multiply that by four or five years, 
you know, that's more than $100 million, and I mean, it starts to, to add up to real money, as they say. So, you know, th they're trying to do these, you know, this, this big tax cut, but at the same time, they're doing things like this. And, and the, the, an important point to remember about severance taxes is that they are, they're cyclical. The good times won't necessarily last. The demand for coal and natural gas may fall. The prices may, may decrease. So this is a temporary thing. Um, and a lot of uh, critics of, of uh, the tax cut plans have pointed this out. So Curtis, um, uh, I am curious, don't a lot of severance taxes go directly to our counties? Th this is true. Uh, the, the bill that I'm talking about, SB 168, uh, doesn't seem to touch those. They will, the, the, the counties and, and municipalities will still get their share of severance taxes, which is very important to them. We, we just uh, yesterday had on uh, Kent Carper, who is the, uh, uh, the president of the Kanawha County Commission. And, you know, as a county commissioner, he knows how important those severance tax revenues are to support uh, local services. Oh, and, and some of the um, the rebates included in the Senate plan, um, they involve uh, property taxes, and there were some concern about, is this going to impact our county, cities, schools that rely on property taxes? But what they're saying is that uh, people are going to pay the taxes and they will get a rebate in the form of a personal income tax credit, um, and so that it will not, the Senate plan will not impact um, those local governments and schools, um, which was a concern. But even still, I mean, we're talking about a not insignificant portion of the state's revenue. What is it, $600 million um, yeah. right out of the gate, uh, you know, this July, I think, so next tax cycle. Um, and then you're adding, Curtis, you're telling us that if this bill passes, you're adding another $25 million, again, right next year. So that's, you know, that's uh, quite a bit of money. And, you know, as you were saying, the justification for these cuts um, are you know, the, the high, a lot of the money that we're taking in from severance taxes right now, which is a large portion, um, which has led to a budget surplus. We ended the last fiscal year um, in July at 1.3 billion surplus, I believe. We're about 1 billion now. And so, you know, state leaders are saying it's time to return that money to tax payers. But there's that concern that, you know, severance taxes can be volatile and we maybe we should wait to see, wait a little bit and see um, before we make such you know, a drastic decision. That was Leah Willingham speaking with Curtis Tate and Chris Schultz for the legislature today. To hear the rest of that discussion, visit our website at wvpublic.org. Tune in at 6 o'clock this evening for both radio and television, Monday through Friday, to hear the day's updates from the legislature. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, Randy Yoey, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning. <laughs>